STEMQ New England Northwest brings together expertise in science, technology, engineering and mathematics from across the region. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and here on the STEMQ podcast, you'll be hearing from leaders in industry, community, government and universities about the groundbreaking innovations that are happening right here in regional New South Wales. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan country at the University of New England in Armidale. Welcome back to Stories of STEMQ. This episode, I'm joined by the project manager for the New England Virtual Health Network, Leanne Nisbet. Leanne, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, this virtual health network, important question, was this something that existed before COVID? During COVID, how did it all come about? Well, that's very interesting because it really came about um, in response to COVID, but it was also something that the university had been thinking about for some time. So COVID was the trigger, if you like, to get this project moving. We can all see, I guess, how virtual health or health from a distance is really important right now. But I guess it's since this idea came about before COVID, what inspired it then? Yeah, well, COVID certainly was an accelerator, but beyond what we can do to monitor COVID at home, um, the university was very interested in looking at ways to deliver health, healthcare services to people in regional, rural and remote areas because one of the biggest issues that we have across the nation in terms of health is the dwindling number of healthcare practitioners that are choosing to either go to or remain in regional, rural and remote areas. So with services dwindling, People out in the bush are finding it increasingly difficult to be able to to get the health care that they need. So they're either travelling long distances out to the coast or sometimes just going without altogether. And the, I guess, the image that's thrown out there to describe the virtual health network is this idea of a virtual hospital. Mm. Now, when I hear virtual hospital, my head goes to VR headsets, walking through 3D hallways and bumping into robot doctors. I'm guessing that's not what this looks like. No, no, (laughs) it's not exactly the way that we envisioned it. Um, And a virtual hospital, I guess that term has been used around um, the local health districts in terms of the way that people are treating the COVID response. So instead of having people in hospital, we're keeping people at home, but we're monitoring them using digital devices. So that's the virtual hospital component. But I think more than that, Nevin is really about connecting healthcare providers around our region. So GP clinics or allied health, um, it's a multidisciplinary approach that we're taking to this exercise. So we're wanting to bring together people from all healthcare walks, if you like, um, and be able to deliver the services that they can provide to patients in place or in a clinic if it's close by. Um, And that's the difference. So it's not just about uh, things that you might have in hospital. It's about, you know, going and having a consult from your kitchen table with your GP who might be in Inverell or might be in Armadale, Glen Innes or Tenterfield. Um, So getting the health care that you need whenever you need it, wherever you are. So NEVIN, the the acronym for this Mm -hmm. New England Virtual Health Network, if it's not, you know, VR headsets and robot doctors, what does it actually look like? If you're, say, you're a patient that's getting involved in this, what will you you actually experience? 
Okay. Well, I might just back back a little bit mm-hmm. because Nevin is a program of works. It consists of four projects. So one of them is what we call our Joint Virtual Care Centre, which is really the technology and the screens um, that enable the digital health care to take place. And the other one is the UNE Health Proprietary Limited, which we are in the process of trying to set up as a, a standalone healthcare service. So it might be a GP practice um, located in a town where people from the community can come for healthcare, but also that service would have the facilities from that joint virtual care centre in place at that clinic um, and enabling the GPs and any other healthcare professionals who are there to deliver their services to people over distance. So that's two. And then the third one, the third project under the Nevin umbrella is what we call the Nevin Enabled Student Experience. So once we have that healthcare service established, then students can come and have their placements there or they can have their placements in any number of clinics that we might be collaborating with around the region. So that provides a service for the students, provides a service for the clinics that we have in the region and it enables the, the communities around the region to have a better health care experience. And then the last thing under the Nevin umbrella is a, a research component um, where we are linking in with the New England Institute for Health Research, which is a university research institute within the School of Health and Medicine. So they're the four things. So that's what Nevin looks like. But if you were a patient coming to that clinic that we're proposing to set up, um, the way that I see it and my PhD is about the model of healthcare that could be applied to that clinic. The way that I see it is that you'd be triaged when you came to the desk if you were coming there physically. Um, Or if you were calling in to make your appointment, you'd be triaged by a nurse to determine whether or not the healthcare that you're needing today um, might be better delivered to you over distance. So if you're calling in, for example, from the kitchen table, you could um, see a doctor immediately using your computer screen or a mobile device. Um, The way that the model will work is that it has a suite of tools that sit within it, um, health tech tools that can assist with diagnosis and monitoring depending on your family's you know healthcare needs and the doctor will tell you you know Leanne can you hold this to your chest and I'll take your heart rate and the heart rate will appear on the doctor's screen in the doctor's clinic in town so it's that kind of over distance delivery that will make life so much easier for patients out in the bush. So the patient will actually be given access to little devices that can be used for monitoring. Correct, yeah. And are these devices that were already available or is, is setting this up meant the development of new technologies at all? One of the most exciting things so far in this project has been to engage with health tech innovators. Um, there's so much technology out there in the health industry that's being developed, emerging already here, Um, At this stage with Nevin, we're not developing brand new technology. We're using what's already available. Uh, And the idea of Nevin, the innovative part of it, is to just knit the technologies, the services, the people and the systems together. I have to ask too, given given the world we live in, what are the, I guess, privacy implications or, or concerns that people might have around 
doing all this virtually? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Um, so we are hunting down. Um, we're trying to use a cloud-based system to store data. Patient records are stored virtually anyway with um, my health record. But for systems that we're bringing in place, we just need to be incredibly careful about who we decide to use as a provider, where they're storing the data, who has access to it and why, and um, how we manage it once it's in the cloud. So that's certainly front of mind. Um, but we're still in the process of bringing all of those things together. I mean, yeah, I guess the, the data you are dealing with would be no different to any other data that your GP has or whatever. So there Correct. shouldn't be any concerns about Ex privacy. Except that we will be sharing it around with Nevin and sharing, I have to be very careful when I say that, we would be helping other practitioners or other clinics. Um, for example, if we had a clinic in, and I'm thinking of Glen Innes because I know that recently some GPs have retired from there um, and they only have a very few number of GPs left to deal with their population. So there, there could be a potential crisis there where there's not enough healthcare services to meet the demand. So in that, in that situation, Nevin would be able to say, well, we can help you. Um, you know, we have this cloud-based server where we're storing our data and we would want to be able to share that with the GP clinic so that if a person, for example, or a GP in Armadale was treating a person at home in Glen Innes, we would want their GP in Glen Innes to eventually be able to see that data. So there is a degree of sharing that would happen, but it's for a specific purpose and that's where we need to be very, very careful about who else might be able to, and we would say nobody, access that data. And I guess you're really breaking new ground in doing all this virtually. I imagine that as you go, you're just sort of learning more and more situations where mm. this, this sort of these data issues need to be taken into account. Yeah, yeah. Given and that it's that's front of mind for for everybody. There's lots of things going on where people are collecting data and storing it in the cloud securely, but we're trying to bring it all together and store it securely all of it not just individually you know from this device or that device and and patient data it actually belongs to the patient so they need to be able to have access to it as well um, it belongs it's theirs so. yeah I imagine particularly if you're a regional community member you know where we can be quite transient jumping between different regions and often yeah your your data is just or your health information is just left with the last GP you had yeah. and you've already forgotten their name by the time you move on to the, <laughs> the next community. Correct. So I guess this kind of gets around those right. kind of issues as well. Yeah. I mean, how would you describe where Nevin's at at the moment, given it's a, it's a new initiative relatively? Is this a, a, a trial stage, a prototyping stage? What, what would you consider it? So most of, so I've been in working as the project manager for 12 months now and the first part of last year was spent developing um, tools that we could use to deliver um, the concept of Nevin to communities and to potential stakeholders. So that took up a lot of time, getting those comms tools together and visiting communities like Inverell and Tenderfield and, and Glen Innes, which are our three key towns that we've been working with so far. Um, and the, we also spend a lot of time trying to apply for grants. So that's also taken up our time last year. Um, my 
as I said, my PhD project is about the model of healthcare that we would use that we'd apply to um, to UNE Health Proprietary Limited or to any provider service. Um, and that's been where I've been spending the majority of my time. So we're actually at the point where we can conduct a proof of concept now, which I think will be very helpful going forward. Um, I know that at granting bodies, feedback from granting bodies about all projects is that they need to see demonstrable outcomes. Um, so we're hoping that via the proof of concept we'll be able to provide that going forward. We might be more successful with our grants. <laughs> and lots of this was, I guess, trialled using COVID as a, a, the focus, really, of, of yes. monitoring patients. Yes. Is there, are, are there other health issues on the horizon that would be the next step, so the next issue to, to tackle using this technology and this system? Yeah, it depends on the healthcare needs of the particular towns. So obviously we're not going to be able to be all things to all people. So in our proof of concept, for example, um, I like some of the software that I've seen and applications. So it's not just tools, it's also applications and software. Um, there's one particular one that I, I like very much. It's, it's to help with wound care. And so I'd like to include that in the proof of concept. So that's something going forward. And then there's a diabetes monitoring um, device that I also really like that we could include that in the toolkit. So I think we have our toolkit for our proof of concept, which is a very paired back toolkit to what we envisage for the full-blown Nevin. Um, and I guess we will be continuously adding to that. One of the things we thought we might do in the proof of concept is to work with an aged care facility. So we'd work with nurses who already are, are working with patients within a facility, but the proof of concept would be a parallel um, service. So we're testing it. Nobody's going to be relying on it, but we'd like to be able to see if it can deliver the same, if not better, um, support for patients. So that's the next step. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about what it might look like for a patient, then, of course, there's the other side of it with the medical practitioners. Mm. How do they feel about it? Are they excited about doing things virtually? Is it just a necessity? I think there are a few things going on, especially in regional areas. And the one that is the biggest problem is that the poor health professionals are just completely stretched beyond breaking point. Um, we delivered a paper to the New South Wales Parliamentary Inquiry into... Um, healthcare in regional, rural and remote areas last year. And that parliamentary committee received over 700 applications from people, um, patients, people that loved people that passed away, um, and also from healthcare providers and universities as well. But what that really brought home to me was the incredible stress that our healthcare professionals are under. Um, we, had, we heard stories about doctors that had left areas and that their patients were not able to be absorbed by the remaining doctors in the town. That was a, a theme throughout all of the, the inquiries, hearings. Um, we heard stories about people that passed away, you know, in ED because there wasn't enough people, enough medical people there. So when you're trying to deliver something new to people that are incredibly stretched and incredibly stressed, it's a very difficult thing. They're not keen to hear about new things until you can point out the benefits. Um, and, and we don't want to impose things on people either. We don't want this to be a burden. We want to be able to demonstrate to people that this is something that's going to make 
life easier and it's going to be making their life less complicated than it already is. In one of the studies that I was looking at in New Zealand where they have a wonderful service that, um, that I've learned a lot from, some of their doctors came down with COVID very mildly and they were able to continue seeing their patients but they were the ones that were at home that t- at that time rather than the patients. So there are benefits um, and you just need to be very careful about the way that you communicate them to people that have preconceived ideas, especially the healthcare professionals may have seen um, other attempts to bring in healthcare via digital means and failed and they will trigger. You know, if you say something about healthcare being delivered digitally, the most common um, response that I hear is, we already have done that, you know, we know that, we do that, we've done it, it's failed. Um, And that's not what Nevin is. So you have to work really hard then as a comms person to try and deliver the message of Nevin beyond those boundaries that that they already have. Yeah, it really is a relationship-building thing, right? It absolutely is. And I think that once we get a few healthcare people on board or once they can see the proof of concept working, you've developed that trust with those people and that's that's what's going to be the thing that moves this forward, I believe. So why do you think uh, this region in particular was able to jump on board and get this started? Was there sort of existing expertise or, or infrastructure that's made it possible? I think having the university bang smack in the middle of the region is, is the, the trigger. Um, we're able to conduct our research with people in the local community and I know that's a very important thing. That's something that's in the university strategic plan for the next decade and it's also an object of the university under the Act. Um, so having those tentacles out into the local community has meant that we're really very much aware of what's going on for people and we're living it ourselves. We know what it's like to try and get good health care, um, even in Armadale, which is quite a large place. So I think that's been a really great driver, if you like, for, for getting this off the ground. But then, you know, when we do our research and we look at Australian Bureau of Statistics and we look at the you know, Australian health reports and New South Wales health reports, we can see that this is a really special area. And one of the special things about it is that um, the government uses areas of remoteness, and they call it a modified Monash model. It's got seven areas of remoteness. Um, The University of New England and its region across the the New England um, covers regions two to six. So we're figuring if we can make a system like Nevin work here, where you've got two to six um, and one is a a city, an urban area, then we've pretty much covered the needs of the majority of Australians. And the idea is to then be able to have something that we could roll out to scale. So that's one special thing. Um, We also have higher rates of uh, disease. We have people in this region that are very poorly, whose needs are very poorly met and that's recorded um, in the data. And we know that we also have a, a higher Indigenous population in this region than most other regions, certainly in New South Wales. So this is a good place to be trying this um, and to be building this model. And I think it also goes a long way when we go out talking to people in the community for them to know that we live it, we're living their experiences as well. We're not somebody that's you know, coming in saying that we're going to save the day. We're not somebody coming in that's not aware of what's happening. So that's Mm. why it's special. 
I mean, we hear talk a lot about regional health issues, and I feel like almost that that phrase has sort of become a bit of a, a buzzword, regional health issues. Is it just about getting good professionals into areas, or, or are there sort of commonalities amongst regional communities that, that health systems struggle with? I think having healthcare professionals in the regions would absolutely solve the problem. <laughs> but what we found um, and, and what the research shows, and it's not just in New South Wales or Australia or anywhere else in the world, it's that when people are graduating um, as GPs or into the healthcare profession, they're not looking to go to regional, rural and remote areas as a first choice. <laughs> So I know the university has placements in rural areas and I know that there are many universities that do that. But what the research shows is that people don't stay there. So we're just really, really, really focused on trying to deal with what happens if we don't get all of those graduates flushing into regional, rural and remote areas. And what happens if these initiatives that the government has been um, putting into place over the last decade actually don't work. Is there a better way or another way that we can deliver healthcare to people in regional, rural and remote areas? And that's that's where Nevin comes in. Yeah, I feel like particularly Armadale in this region, it, it is a bit of a hub for people doing their placements. I feel like every GP I've ever gone to is said, oh, Armadale, I did my placement there. <laughs> like everyone's got a story linked to it. You mentioned before that the role that students can play in Nevin. So to give us an idea of what it would look like for students. Are they being trained on a system? Are they, they actually dealing with patients? What, what's it look like? Well, we haven't, we haven't got to the point where we okay. can accept them in yet, but I, I think that the, the idea would be that we would have students in the practice so they would become familiar with the technology, understand the issues about delivering healthcare using technology because it's not like it would be if you had a person in front of you. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to learn to make the devices work for you and for your patient and make everybody feel as comfortable as possible. So that's going to be a difference. Um, one of the things that I had read in the early paperwork for Nevin was that we had hoped to perhaps collect some case study information, uh, case study data for the students to look at um, and for also the practitioners to look at as well. So it would be absolutely de-identified data so we wouldn't know who they were. But if there were particularly interesting cases that um, were around the region, if patients were happy for, their, for that information to be shared on a database, de-identified, that would be a wonderful way for students to understand differences that they might see if they were going to be out in the bush delivering health care to people. Now you've jumped into the, the thick of this really you know you said you could do this role for what, just over 12 months yeah so right in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and coming from a project project management background rather than necessarily being a medical professional yourself mm-hmm. I imagine this is a pretty steep learning curve yeah, I'm really glad you didn't want to have this interview this time last year. <laughs> but, you know, it is something that I'm really passionate about and I, I love it and I can see the promise and, and potential for it. So it's not been a burden to jump through that huge learning curve. It's actually been like soaking it in for me um, and I've loved every minute of it. So I think the fact that it also feeds in so beautifully with my study is 
you know, there's benefits for both sides there, for me and for Nevin. Yeah, you mentioned you're doing a PhD in this area. So this is actually doing research in the area? It's developing that model mm-hmm. that we're going to use. So yes, there's lots of benchmarking, researching, trying to understand elsewhere in the world um, what they've done. Um, some countries have done a big rollout of telehealth, for example, Denmark, um, which is my poster child for, for telehealth and digitally enabled healthcare. Um, New Zealand, I think I mentioned before as well, and Canada. Um, Those are the three countries that I'm most interested in, and we can really learn a lot from those countries and the way that they've been able to deliver things at scale. So the project and my study project as well um, is learning from that best practice research from all around the world. So it's pretty exciting and lots of fun. So what came first, the the role or the PhD? The PhD, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think when I came into the role, I've been very lucky to work with Professor Rod McClure, who was the Dean of Faculty of Medicine and Health here at UNE. Um, He is also my PhD supervisor. So Rod's not with the university any longer, but remains my PhD supervisor. Our initial discussions before I was even involved with Nevin, we would talk about, you know, the the delivery of healthcare using digital means. Um, and I was studying previously at University of Queensland um, in that kind of area as well. So we each had very similar passion, a similar vision, and it was just great to be able to come on board as a project manager and bring that passion to the project. And I imagine having project management experience from sort of far outside the, the health system and health industries, uh, I imagine that's helped a little bit in having to think differently about things. I think the comms part of it has been very different. Um, and I know, you know, even in developing our proof of concept, the way that I've delivered the proof of concept to the, to the Vice-Chancellor, for example, is different to the way that we need to deliver it to finance group. You know, even though the information is going to be somewhat similar, they're each looking at it through different lens. So I think... Um, you know, having project management experience has taught you or taught me, teaches people, to need to speak to people in a way that they're going to understand. So it's, it's the comms. It's, it just keeps coming back to the comms process of finding out your audience and then pitching your communication to meet their needs. And that really is the way that the project management component of this has worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always intrigued by people that are professional project managers like yourself because in in my head I feel like no you have you have an area of expertise and you work in that field and use that expertise but when you talk to project managers they're going from hugely different areas and and in fact my area of expertise is communication so Mm. that's where my previous degrees are and that's what I've brought to project management Um, and I can't imagine that project managers would be able to exist without it. I mean, is it just being a project manager? Is it just about being a, a wheeler and dealer and, a, you know, getting the job done? What's, what's the skill set of a project manager? Comms, obviously, is a big one. Yeah, comms is a big one. Um, being disciplined, I think, is another one. Having the trust of all of the stakeholders is another one, but that's associated with comms as well. Um, being able to read your spreadsheets, <laughs> meet your deadlines... <laughs> Um, and reach out. I think that's also been something that's sometimes hard um, if you feel like you don't know something um, or if you feel like you've not understood something. Being a project manager means you need to reach out and ask people, find out, go beyond and get what you need to get that project done. Yeah, particularly because 
you know, you're not managing a project at a particular company, right? The, the clue is in the name. It's a network. Yes. Do you feel like the lines are sometimes blurred between what Nevin is and who the different stakeholders are? And Yeah, it, it, that's very true. It <laughs> is. And in fact, I think the first couple of months that I was working on this project, um, I'm sure that there were people that completely understood what Nevin was. I had a bit of a trouble trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, because it, And not because it was nothing, but in fact, if you mentioned Nevin, people would be so excited about it, it meant different things to different people. So they mm. would talk about whatever it was that excited them. So I was bringing, you know, absorbing all of this excitement, <laughs> getting to the point where I was so excited, I just didn't know what it was about. So that was where we came up to the point where we thought, well, actually, it's these four things, and they're the four projects that sit under the Nevin umbrella. Um, and once you can describe it in those ways and untangle the excitement, really, I think, um, people are then able to, to understand it better and jump in and help and see where they can make a difference. That's uh, been great. And once we have these case studies as well, I imagine that'll be a great thing to, to share it and say, look, this is what it can do and this is what it's capable of. Yeah, that's another demonstrable outcome. Yeah. Will, well, is there a point where you'll be able to say, here is proof of concept? Or is a little bit more iterative than that? I'll be project managing a proof of concept project in my head. It will be a small project that might run for three or four months. But then we'll do an evaluation of that proof of concept. And from that, we'll be able to determine whether or not it's a success, but also have recommendations for going forward. So once we've got that proof of concept and we can say to the university, this works. You know, we've been able to demonstrate all these things. We're at a point where we can go forward now and implement what I think of as the full Nevin. So there will be a, a finite end, but then we'll start the iterative process of adding more tools to the toolkit, expanding the boundaries of, the, of where we're reaching for our patients and the GPs that we're supporting. Um, so that will be where the iteration comes in. With the proof of concept, there'll of course be iterations because or there'll be an iterative process because we'll be working with tools and devices that we've not used before. So we'll have to be adjusting the way we, we look at things, the way we work, perhaps writing some guidelines about how and when you would use particular tools. So that's one way, being iterative. But once we've finished that and we've got our um, proof of concept under our belt, then the bigger iterative process will begin. So you're 12 months in. Do you know what the next 12 months looks like? I think so. I've got a picture in my head. <laughs> what, what's, what's on the cards for Nevin um, at this stage? I mean, things are changing so yes, quickly. They are. Over the health at the moment. They are. Do you, do you have a good idea of where, where we're heading? Uh, well, it will be the proof of concept sort of I, and I'm thinking that will be around the middle of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll be doing our evaluations and hopefully all being well, we'll be able to start applying the full Nevin um, the beginning of next year. We also have a, a new dean coming on board, which is going to be very exciting. Um, I'm going to really enjoy chatting to her about Nevin. That's Professor Jennifer Williams, and I've not met her yet, but looking forward to that, and mm -hmm. she will be our advocate for Nevin, and I know that that's something that she's spoken about as being excited about as well, so that'll be great. And that might change things, or it might infuse things in a different in a different way, um, but it's something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. And if anyone's listening that they might be a medical practitioner, is there a way for them to get involved at all? 
Yes, that would be wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So watch this space. Watch this space. We have a website, a New England Virtual Health Network website on the university webpages. Um, There should be contact information there for me um, as the project manager and I'm more than happy to to take inquiries or to chat to people or to pass information on uh, from any GP who'd like to be a part of this or, or any healthcare professional, allied health people as well. We, we're really wanting this to be a multidisciplinary focused healthcare service that we're providing. All right. Well, I, I think we're all coming to terms with this stuff, just being the, the next frontier for us. So I'm sure, sure we'll be hearing more from you and Nevin in the near future. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me here on the STEMQ podcast. Stay tuned to hear more stories as we work to empower STEM innovation through the STEMQ precinct.